it seemed like there was a tidal wave of returns. It seemed like the bubble was back with stocks like Tesla, Nvidia. I mean, gosh, Intel had a killer month, dude. If Intel's doing well, imagine like what real stocks do. This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Douglas, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. Another day, another dollar, player. Huh. I, I'm not getting paid for this. What are you talking about? Another day, <laughs> another dollar. Yeah? I got in this Uber and the end of the airport early morning flight and i asked the guy how long you've been driving and then he talked until we got to the yeah yeah the airport and well which was unexpected right i thought this was going to be like for two hours like he just said something like that simple but the reason i bring that up here as i stated that was because one of the things the reason he was talking so much is he said he started writing this book that was debunking a lot of cliches like he would take a, a phrase that people just say all the time and then break it apart and then say why it like, like, so he talked for a good 15 minutes about uh, how like you can't change a leopard spots. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we got lots of these phrases. Another day, another dollar. I, uh, <laughs> I love that. When I lived in Europe, one of my buddies would always come to me and be like, why do you say and like insert catchphrase? That like another day, another dollar. But I'm trying to think of a more generic one. And then I'd have to explain the logic behind it. And like 60% of the time, the logic is just nonsensical. It's like exactly. someone in the 1800s was washing their clothes on a washing board. And somehow this catchphrase came out of it. Like hilarious. Yeah, it is. So just wait for this guy's book. I'd like to pre-order the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. It's, it's never going to come out. I can just tell. <laughs> like this is one of those, like he's, it's not, it's not going to come out. But you good on this day? You feeling good on this day? You know, uh, we we need to say Rip Charlie. Oh, my goodness. He passed away this week. And that was the range of emotions I had was it was interesting. The The proof of my nerddom was kind of depressing because my I got more text messages with Rip Charlie within minutes than I think any other thing that's happened to me. Except for like a sports team of like winning a title. Yeah, it's legit. And I feel like he knew. He totally knew. You know, the media Terry did the past two months. Yeah, exactly. I mean... Exactly. Remember, because we, we were like, you're saying, it seems like there just seems to be a lot of Charlie Munger news. And then Charles just said, hasta la bye-bye. You know, no. like he knew. It's wild to know. Which also means that Warren knew. That's got to be well... a heartbreaking. You know Warren knew. You know when your friend's a little off, even if you don't see him every day. Yeah. Here's how we know Charlie knew. You know Gregory Zuckerman, columnist at the Wall Street Journal? Word, word. He's, he's a great columnist. He's no Jason Swig, right? He even got an invite out to hang out at Monkey's yeah, House. I mean, exactly. come on. He's going to the like tier two journalists. So. Charlie was going to be on our show in two weeks. This is this is where <laughs> I think, I think we might have got an invite. Okay, here's a... We're, so for those, uh, just general FYI here, we're going to do a deep dive on Charlie, talk about a little bit about his life and, and 
our favorite parts of Charlie later in the show. That's going to be for premium subscribers only. If uh, you want to do that and join the show with a premium subscription, you go to skippydougals.supercast.com. Uh, subscriptions are discounted right now for kind of the Black Friday stuff. And that helps support the show. You also get every show at least a day early. Um, so just so we know, just so you know, we're not missing Charlie. We're just doing that for specifically for the premium side. Dougals, though, I thought it was very close to the end for Charlie, but I thought he just had the willpower to make it to the one zero zero. 34 days away. And honestly, I thought he was going to hit that. I don't know. Yeah. I j- I've had this vibe for the past six months. Like, he's going to get to 100. He's going to do it. And then time is short after that, but he didn't quite make it. Yeah, he, he may have also thought he was going to get there. I don't think he knew he was going to die on Tuesday, necessarily. Yeah. right? Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, because they had a, a black tie event was prepared for his uh, his birthday. Um, which you never, I mean that, you know, that could go either way, but I, I think he thought he was going to get to hundred too. So close. Even Kissinger got to hundred <laughs> Kissinger th- threw up the bird to Charlie on his way out. It's like, come on, Kissinger. Come on. We're not talking Kissinger on this pod. All right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's fair. enough. That's fair enough. Sandra Day O'Connor. Oh, another great salute. It's like, oh my goodness. Speaking of greatness, I'm going to, I'm going to kick it off by reaching to the fishbowl and talking about DJ Envy. DJ Envy, host of The Breakfast Club, very popular, out in Dirty Jars, where you at? And this is where I hate to interrupt, but I know you're just messing with me because my favorite Charlie Munger quote says, Envy is the really stupid sin because it's the only one you can't have any fun at. (laughs) (laughs) Such a practical individual. So we're tying it together. Sorry, DJ We're tying it it together. So he's got this Breakfast Club show, usually has a whole bunch of uh, famous people that come on solid, you know, very entertaining. There's a real estate emperor. I'm just going to overextend this. That would come on. His name was Caesar Pina. And so he'd pop on and they would, they would end up talking about like real estate tips, uh, building generational wealth through real estate, make it look easy, right? All that kind of stuff, which is all the warning signs. And so this is out in Jersey. Right. And so what would happen is they'd talk about, or, sorry, I mean, allegedly, I'm going to use the word alleged in all of this. Allegedly, uh, Pina would have these properties that he was going to pick up and they would kind of siphon off people that were a part of uh, like some of the groups that they were bringing together to talk about real estate. And they would say, you all are the more sophisticated, qualified investors. And for only $2,500, you can be a part of like our ultra exclusive seminar mm-hmm. and with this group they'd say something like i'm about to pick up this spot over in patterson you could invest with me and i'm gonna give you a 30 to 35 percent return in the next five months easy peasy lemon squeezy you want in and people according to what they were saying you know it's all in the hindsights but people according to what they were saying in this piece is they were saying because dj envy is involved i'll invest yeah. in dj envy yeah. by the way this is in new york magazine the radio host and the real estate scam is the the title of it I meant to say that at the beginning um by matt stitch so so people were saying i was investing in envy there was one one quote in there where a dude they gave a hundred thousand dollars for a uh for one of these properties 
he said he went to his brother and said, do you want in? And his brother goes, sounds like you about to get scammed. <laughs> and, he, and he said, nah, DJ Envy's up in this. Like it can't, you know, it, it can't be a scam. So anyway, there's a lot of trust that's built with celebrities, as we've talked about before. These like celebrities and gurus and all that kind of stuff, they build, they build a lot of trust in people. I can't say in fully blind faith, but it's closer to blind, blind faith than not. One of trusting them. And this is one of those situations that came about. Uh, and so to give you, I'll give you like one more specific example. So there's this building on Park Avenue in Patterson, Patterson, New Jersey. It was an unrenovated, empty rental unit that was above a closed laundromat. Pino went out and told investors, uh, I need money. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to flip it, give you 30, 35%, as I mentioned, in the next few months, and got over $3 million that people gave to him. And then payday comes. And nobody's phone is ringing. So in, in this case, for that guy I was talking to you about, that his brother was like, you probably fit to get scammed. He put in his $100,000. And then he's like, Pina, where's the money at? Pina shows up with a check for $100,000 and said, I know this isn't, this isn't the return but that, that I promised you, but here's your money back, right? Yeah. Like, that's, that's good faith. That check bounced, right? That check bounced. So then a little bit later, he comes back and he goes, well, here's 30 grand. Like, I'm, I'm trying to make you whole. Here's 30 grand. The guy's like, I, mean, I still have there's a lot more money, right, that I'm missing here. Then he shows back up with a couple, like, diamond-studded necklaces. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is just to, to I'm his. I'm sorry to laugh. But... <laughs> no, but it's just like, to his alleged credit, I'm just throwing throw the word alleged randomly in here in my sentences. To his alleged credit, at least I guess he was trying. But effectively, this was just a Ponzi scheme where he was, it's allegedly, this seems like it was a Ponzi scheme where he was, uh, he was taking money from some folks, not doing renovations, it seems, and then just getting money from other people and paying back the last people. Like, that's what it seems like he ended up doing. And it's so messed up. There are dozens of people that came forward and said that their life savings are gone. And that's the, when I read that sentence, I was like, oh. I mean, it's one thing if you're trying to fix your pool and you end up selling Miss Patty Patty Mayonnaise no, at gmail.com. I mean, that's about the same. The, it's yeah. I'm just so um frustrated with people talking about generational wealth and either doing it via Ponzi schemes or massive debt. People claiming that there's no risk to investing, people stating unrealistic returns. I mean, are you kidding me 30 percent in five months is like you're you're just the only way to do 30 percent in five months consistently is to go rob people yeah yeah i mean that's 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 we have I mean, it has been shown time and time again that that is very accurate well, like when we talk about generational wealth you know we we discussed uh trying to help out my cousin right in that world and teach him the ways and so i i built this model for him that goes from now until 60 years from now. Yep. And like monthly, the amount to, uh, to give away, like what, and it's all, it never happens according to the model, but it's to like, to show yeah. like when you get a raise, you take half of that and then you start, yep. you put that back in, right? 60 years. This, these people's models is two columns <laughs> now and six months from now. Yeah. It's not <laughs> even a full year. <laughs> yeah. <Come on. laughs> like that's not the way it works. And, and to be clear, we're not laughing at the people because they got scammed. It's just that this is a, the scenarios that we see so, they see, we, we see repeat themselves so often are just like, 
human nature it's maddening um, human nature yeah so i don't even want to ask i didn't make it all the way through this article is was there like paperwork with i mean is this literally people handing cash back and forth or were there investor documents in a way oh uh, that's a good question i don't know if there were investor documents but it wasn't it was there's a there are accounts of wire fraud that are being brought against him so at least at least it was tracked if not documents it didn't sound like documents though because it sounded like i'm calling you on the phone to see where my money is not Gosh, anything every more red flag in the book yeah that, that, that's what it seems like and so far it seems like pina is the one that's in trouble but dj envy seems like he's keeping his hands somewhat clean and mm-hmm. there was one there was one person that came in because dj envy is like i just i have hosts or guests on my show i got guests on my show like guess my yeah. guests say things and somebody came out and said when dj envy was promoting something of mine i gave him five hundred fifty thousand dollars. he's been talking to this dude for three years bringing him on the show i don't know that he took money but it would be hard pressed like to understand that if he didn't anyway i don't know and i'm i'm not i'm not a lawyer i'm not throwing any sort of accusations anywhere it's just messed up Right. And and folks need to be more careful uh, when they are using their voice, which is powerful, to promote things. Yep. PSA. Just a PSA. PSA. Speaking of power, we had some powerful returns in November, Douglas. I hate to do the month by month breakdown. You know, I never do the daily stuff, but I kept, it seemed like there was a tidal wave of returns. It seemed like, the bubble was back with stocks like Tesla, Nvidia. I mean, gosh, Intel had a killer month, Dougals. If Intel's doing well, imagine like what real stocks do. Like, That's a sign of the bubble. Yeah, right. November of 2023, it's the 18th best month in terms of total return since 1950. <laughs> Is that crazy? Don't... To be clear, there are 12 months every year. No, I mean just 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 to keep it simple. So oh, over seventy years, it's like eight hundred months. Yeah, we're at number I, eighteen. Just, yeah, I mean, this I mean, is a, that's my point. This was a banner month, man. It's wild. It's wild. Kind of insane. Now, and, and, um, and keep go going. Ahead. No, no, keep going. Preach. So, so the top performing month, like months ever, in that in that seventy plus year range, October nineteen seventy four. Where mm-hmm. the S and P was up sixteen point three percent. Yep. But this this chart I'm looking at breaks down all the the best months. They're they're pretty much scattered throughout, and then it tries to give you some idea of what happened to returns after that month. And the only thing this chart shows is it's all over the map. Like sometimes <laughs> these big months occur at the at a, at the bottom, basically. Like and it's the big flip, and then returns from there look great. Sometimes they occur at the top returns from their flip negative so this doesn't mean anything like it's not a really a meaningful point other than wow that was crazy lots of people made <laughs> lots of money invested in stocks this is a reason why you don't want to get scared go sit in cash because i mean i still like i always have an example of that but my latest example is someone who got scared in like 2020 has been in cash ever since yeah. Can you imagine how much money you lost in the past three years? Because months like November of 2023 happened where 
you have 9% more money than you used to have for doing nothing. Kathy Wood in the month of November was up 30 something percent. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say Kathy Wood as a human. ARK, the flagship, A R K K, her flagship fund was up 30 something percent in November, which I checked brings her back to even with the S&P 500 over the lifetime <laughs> of that fund. And that's what's interesting. I don't want to spend time on Kathy or even the type of stock, but it was the riskier, less profitable, bubbly stocks that seemed to lead their way out of this rally. So it the speculative nature of people's checkbooks has reappeared briefly. I don't know if it'll be here for a long time or not, but... Yeah, QQQ had a huge month. ARK had a huge month. I think Twilio had a huge month. Like, it's that sort of stuff. No, I mean, I feel like you can't just sneak the shade in at the end. I just threw a little sprinkle. No, I, I just sprinkled a little shade it's in there. Well deserved. It's well deserved. It's kind of a it's a it's a it's a weird time, right? Because I mean, we don't need to talk about all the pessimism, you know, um pessimistic narrative that we talked about before we don't have to get way into that but it's interesting because of the the amount of positive energy that's also coming up right now because of beliefs of what's happening at the cooling economy and therefore what the fed's going to do so there is renewed investor interest in a whole bunch of stuff i think people are looking for excuses to invest right now we're still we're still in that world is what i'm saying well, let's talk about the fed briefly mm -hmm. remember in like february march of this year the consensus on the street was that Fed the Fed was going to start cutting rates, and we were like, "Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Inflation's so crazy! Like, <laughs> it makes this no doesn't sense. make any sense, right?" Yeah. And by July, it was pretty dang obvious that we were right that there's no chance that rates were going to get cut in 2023. Well, it's just shifted maybe three to six months. The consensus expectations are still that the Fed's going to cut rates early next year. Like. When did this mindset change where all investors just seem to sit around waiting for the Fed to bail them out? Like, why would why would you expect that? I don't understand because that would stimulate the economy, but it would probably stimulate the economy in a negative way. I'm not ready for rate. I, I would probably be in the camp if I had to pick of still encouraging rates to go up. Rather I don't that. I don't I don't mean this to sound as shade throwing as it potentially might but the there was this study that came out recently that was looking at the part of it was looking at the relationship between I'll say like unfounded optimism and mental cognition yeah I'll let you guess what the relationship <laughs> just just uh fill me in so I make sure my guess yeah. is right yeah exactly so it just the the correlation that they found was that uh, people that had optimism that was fairly unrealistic optimism or like think about like blind faith yeah uh, even what we were just talking about right with the the real estate scam like that generally that came with lower uh, mental cognitive capabilities and the way that they defined that was not it's not saying it was stupider people like it's not saying that it meant like fully like they looked at things like memory as well as things like your like your mental bandwidth at the time just generally speaking when you have optimism that is either unfounded or blind that it came with the inability at that moment in time for your brain to be at full capacity mm -hmm. you know that so, makes me sad because there's the joke about the the doomsday sayer sounding smarter 
than yeah. the realistic optimist. But in this case, you're not saying necessarily the realistic optimist. You're saying the blind faith optimist. Yeah, um, exactly. And both sides are are bad, I think. Like extremes in general, right, are yep. just usually more dangerous. So That's November, fair. let's take it into Santa Claus. Santa Claus <laughs> rally, baby. Might as well. I'm putting it all on black. At this point, let's <laughs> let's finish off the year on a high note. Might as well. Um, like, what yeah. the heck? Might as I, well. I completely agree. We don't talk politics much on the show because the, the jokes of our political leaders and their challenges would just never end, Dougals. But when the president comes into our wheelhouse and talks about inflation, we just got to mention it. Oh, it, Here's the tweet. Joseph Biden. Hold up, hold up. This was straight up Joseph Robinette biden there are times where the man's middle name needs to come into play and this is one of them go ahead let me be clear to any corporation that hasn't brought their prices back down even as inflation has come down it's time to stop price gouging give american consumers a break sigh <laughs> except the sigh Double was from sigh. you the sigh, the sigh was sigh. The, i so you sent this over to me i took a look and i was like oh this is one of those like imitation accounts so I clicked through, I, I, I clicked through, I was like, it's got this imitation account has 37 million followers. That's interesting. Like it was. And then I, so I kept going down. I was like, this looks fairly real. Like the other tweets seem fairly real. He didn't write the tweet. Someone on his campaign wrote the tweet. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure, sure it's, a, if he wrote the tweet, there would have been something misspelled or something. I mean, come on. <laughs> the whole thing was misspelled. You think he could use a cell phone? Sorry, I'm not. <laughs> okay, now we're now we're going, going a little too far. <laughs> so I'm sure it's just a talking point, basically building consensus around give the American consumers a break because their political polling says that's what people want to hear. But the obvious miss of not understanding that when inflation is low, prices. If inflation is positive at all, that means prices are going up. Typically, they're just going up very slightly, around 2% a year. When inflation spikes all the way to 10%, prices go up. And then if inflation stops, falls off cliff, goes to zero, the prices stay where they <laughs> stay at the elevated levels where they went when inflation was at 10%. This appears to be, we talked about it on the show in the past, that maybe your average American consumer doesn't understand this. If your average the president. Joke? Your average Joe, as it were. Okay. So the average Joe does not understand this. Why is it so hard? I'm not a political strategist, and we're not here to talk politics. However, if the number one item that is holding down your poll results, results is your understanding and ability to impact the economy, stop tweeting things that show that you obviously don't understand or know how to impact the economy. That's it. It's a stop doing list. That's I'm not fair. telling you what to do. Yeah, that's it's fair. just a stop doing list. I yeah, I I mean, I don't have anything of value to say. I think I hope this comes from a place of good intent, but I'm sure it does. It just wasn't sure it executed does. perfectly. And yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like I should not be talking about politics because I I'm not very smart on the political front. He's clearly not very smart when it comes to... Well, no, that's not even true. <laughs> we can move on. on. We can move on. on. All right. There's a Ben Carlson piece. So Wealth of Common Sense is Ben Carlson's blog. He had this blog post called How the Market Shapes Your Portfolio. And this is a topic 
that you often talk about how when you're born and then when you come of age or graduate from high school or college into the work market, that year and the state of the economy, the stock market, real estate, et cetera, at that time dictates a lot of things. That's what this is about. I'm going to hit on two points from it that I found to be most interesting. One is, uh, and this is, he's pulling this from The Economist, this, what I'm about to say here. They looked at using Vanguard data when someone opened their account, their brokerage account, and the percent of equity allocation that they had in that account. So for example, if you opened your account in 1990, they looked at all the people as a cohort that opened their brokerage account in 1990 and looked at the percent of their Vanguard account that was in stocks, invested in stocks now. That's the way they looked at it. And so what you can see here is that, for example, if the people that opened their brokerage account in the late 90s, 87% in stocks. Because according to this, it's saying that when they opened their account, it was boom times. If you open it in the boom times, that means you're going to think it's going to be boom times all the time. Yeah. And so if say you, you open your account typically between, I don't know, 18 and 25, right? right? So you're coming of age with like the yahoos of the world, like truly boom time tech bubble. Okay. You mean the tech company, Yahoo, not like Yahoo's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like when Yahoo used to be cool. Remember yeah, that, Diggle? Yep, I do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then if you look in like the between 2000 and 2010, those folks are closer to like 70% in equities because equities weren't boom time then. So similar people that opened their account in 2020, right? They had, they had that people that opened their account last year, more similar to in the early 2000s. So it's, it's interesting, right? To see that because you could, when asked, you could intuitively think, if you opened your account in 99, your memory could be such that you invested a whole bunch of internet stocks and then you experienced the crash. And so you could be someone that would have lower amounts, yeah. but that that's not what turned out to be the case. It's even, it's like more than interesting. You didn't talk about the folks that opened their account in the eighties who hold um, only like 65% equities. Well, they were, they opened their account at the perfect time for a bull run in bonds. So they're naturally going to be more inclined to remember the great returns for bonds. Yes. And, but that, that is probably the, the ironic period here because also in this piece, what Ben Carlson did was he looked at the S and P 500 and its performance over two decades. So 20 years and said, if you invested $1 and held for 20 years and looking at each of the, um, the beginnings of each decade, what would that $1 be worth? And I'll, I'll just run through all of them because it's easy enough. 1930, 239, 1940, 1410, 1950, 1245, 1960, 375, 1970, 890, 1980, 2683. So that is the 1980 was the best time to go, but it was, but it was in the heart of a recession. Well, like, and you had rates go from 18% to 0%. I mean, exactly. this is only a 20 year span. So rates, let's see, in 2000, I think rates were uh, around seven, six, 7%. I'd have to check. But yeah, there's headwinds with debt becoming much more cheaper. Yeah. yeah. So the people that started investing at that point, they started investing in a period that felt super sucky. 
really high inflation, really high interest rates, you're in a recession, but was the best point in this and the measurement that uh, mm-hmm. that Ben Carlson has here to have invested in stocks. So yeah, I think it's a it's a point that's worth consideration. And it's why personally, I believe that looking at the history of markets and understanding market cycles is important. Everything is a cycle. I'm not going to use the MR terminology here, but everything's a cycle. This is why one of many reasons, there's like a hundred more, why there's no investment strategy that works for everyone. Yeah. Maybe 15, 20 years ago, I thought there was. And I thought if I cracked the right investment strategy for me and my back test showed that it was the best way to make money that everyone else would easily see that same logic and want to invest like I invest. Absolutely not. There are so (laughs) many factors. (laughs) Your personal financial situation, the economy during your coming of age years. Like, yep, yep. Your risk tolerance, a thousand other things. So you have to come to the other investors' way of thinking and then try and, if you're trying to support uh, their investment growth and then trying to support a strategy that they can stick with that is sound, that's the best returns they can make. You know, everyone has their own cap on the best possible returns that they can do. Yeah. Truth. I like this data. Can I reach into the fishbowl and talk sports? Oh, boy, can you? So we love Howard Marks on the show. Dougals, I'm going to do some first level and hopefully some second level thinking. Mark Cuban recently sold a majority stake in the Dallas Mavericks that valued the uh, franchise at $3.5 billion. Mark Cuban bought the Dallas Mavericks for $285 million about 20 years ago, because he sold an overpriced bubbly asset. Um, this is from memory called broadcast.com, correct? Is that right, Diggles? Yeah, something. I think that's right. Yeah, I think something that's right. similar. And it was like one of the first attempts that he's had lots of businesses through the years, but um, one of the first attempts to kind of do online screaming, but this is like late 90s, early 2000s. Um, like it wasn't, the technology just wasn't there yet. It was maybe an t- attempt at YouTube before YouTube, and it, it fizzled out pretty quickly. So he he has a good track record, all I'm trying to say here, is of selling a bubbly asset near the top of the bubble and then reinvesting. Like He's done that pretty well two or three times in his life. I think my question for you is if sports franchises might be a bubbly asset right now. They have been going up pretty aggressively over the, over the last few years. We've commented on that a few times. Bubbly is hard because what's what's interesting about sports franchises is the nature of the rationale for people's purchases, that it's oftentimes not necessarily an investment, but it's like a symbol, a status symbol, as it were, or something around legacy. And so people may do whatever they can for the value of that to not go down. Yes. So this is where I I teased hard marks because I think... First level thinking is it goes like this. It goes for the past 30 years in the cable universe, broadcast cable, what happened is ESPN, TNT, and all those were in the core bundle. People paid 60 to 100 bucks a month. And ESPN got as much as 10 bucks a month from that, even if the person wasn't a sports fan. 
So ESPN got all this additional money that they could spend on sports rights. They did that. TV context ruled the world. That drove franchise values to insane places. That is slowly starting to explode. ESPN is expecting revenues to decline significantly in coming years because they don't get the passive income from people that aren't sports fans. So that says sports fans are in, in a bubble. But the second level thinking is like, let's talk NFL for a second. There's 32 premier franchises in the world. And when the Broncos go for sale, the Walmart family heirs buy the thing for four and a half billion dollars as more as a status symbol than anything else by my way of thinking. And then they they see what like Kroenke did with the Los Angeles Rams. Not only did he just run the Super Bowl, but he's a real estate developer. He spends whatever $5 billion on a whole industrial investment that he thinks makes returns on the real estate side with the NFL franchise as the core tenant to that. So maybe as a status symbol and as a real estate play, having the premier status symbol in a premier market in America makes sense of these valuations. If you're using it as not just status symbol, but like I, advertising isn't quite the right word, but you, it's, it's a symbol of capability in addition to status or something like that. Like you gain more credibility, like DJ Envy. <laughs> Full kind circle. of like DJ Envy. Yeah, kind so of like DJ Yeah. The purchaser of the Mavericks is purchasing them in part because they own casinos. Oh. And uh, I'm sure there will be a real estate play. It's already speculated where there will be casinos attached to maybe a new stadium or a new development. I mean, maybe that makes sense in a way where the revenue stream is diversified away from TV rights, which I think are likely headed down. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe to go back to your question, bubble, yes, going to burst. I don't know. Well, and um, like luxury goods, if we talk status symbols, luxury goods do burst, but sometimes it's different because it's it's not all about the economics when you talk status symbols. Sometimes it's still about being in the elite club. Yeah. And the, and the quantity matters a lot here. You're not saying something where there's tens of thousands or millions of a good. It's like we talked about the NFL, like there are 30. And so it's easier to keep prices elevated. I think that, and I guess in a certain sense, you could say it's less liquid because the audience to buy it is also smaller. And so you have to have that interest. But I I also think it might be easier to keep it elevated. So that's my take. But it is fascinating. I still say gangsta move to the point you brought up before from Mark Cuban. Second gangsta move, like second big gangsta move. Brilliant move on his behalf. I mean, and speaking of, artificially inflating the prices like a decade ago the new orleans pelicans were up for sale i think they i think they booted an owner and there was no good buyer at the time the nba purchased and operated the franchise for a short period of time so the other owners didn't take a hit in their valuations i mean there's going to be all sorts of manipulation it's not a true free market yeah Um, they will do it again fascinating is it time for the transition Are we going to Charlie? Let's go to Charlie. Thank you for all the the listeners this week. Appreciate it. We'll see you all next week. Time for the premium. (laughs) 